All throughout the 90s, I've only ever wanted one of two jobs. A video store clerk or work in a record store. Now, I felt like I was an expert on both movies and music when I was a snotty teenager. And now that I have a podcast empire and can freely discuss both topics at great length, I'm here to tell you I'm full of shit. Well, okay, I know, I think I know a lot about movies, but music? Probably not. I was very limited to what music I was exposed to in the 90s. I didn't get MTV in my house until 1994, and the only radio I listened to was whatever my parents were listening to. So that involved a lot of classic rock and music from the 50s and 60s. Now once I discovered MTV and realized alternative rock exists, my life changed. I was exposed to Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, Soundgarden, even Nine Inch Nails, and Beck. All the stuff that I listened to for the first time was in 1994. Uh, if a song didn't have a music video on MTV or VH1 between 94 and 99, I never heard of it. If a song wasn't played on Chicago's own WKQX Q101, I never heard of it. And my friend Bill didn't have it in his CD collection, I never heard of it. But still, I thought I knew everything about music. I could talk for hours and hours about how Beck might be the first alternative rock rapper, how the Beastie Boys' best album was Ill Communication, and why the lead singer of Four Non Blondes was kind of hot. And I'm just as surprised as you are that I didn't get punched in the face a lot in the 90s. Now what I lacked in musical knowledge, I did made up for in movie knowledge. I got my movie taste from my mom, and I only watched the kind of movies she would watch. So a lot of stuff fell through the cracks during the 90s. But I still feel like I got to see a good fair share of popular films from back in the day. One film that I didn't see when I was a teenager was Empire Records. And I wonder if the urge to work in a record store would have just been amplified and would never go away uh, until I did. I mean, who knows? It could have changed my life. You know, instead of doing 90 hella rad movies from the 90s, I could be doing 60 songs that explain the 90s. I could tell you the difference between Pearl Jam and Mother Love Bone. I could point out all the times Kurt Cobain's voice wavered during Heart Shaped Box. I might not even be here right now, and my guests could be doing something more productive with their time, like getting a Nobel Peace Prize. Man. I really fucked up this timeline but not seeing Empire Records as a teenager. Alright, the boring stats. Does anybody even like when I do this? I mean, I do. I think it's interesting. So I, I kind of hope you do too. Empire Records came out in September 1995, was budgeted for $10 million, and it only earned $300,000. I am being dead serious. It only earned $300,000 out of $10 million. This is another one of those movies that, when it came out, it flopped, but the course of time led us to believe this movie is highly beloved and was always popular. When in fact it garnered a cult status and wouldn't become huge until it hit the video market. You know what, though? Fuck all that noise. This movie was huge. It was popular. Every teenager in America in 1995 seen this movie. They wanted to fuck Liv Tyler or Renee Zellweger or if they were brave enough, Robin Tunney. Every, every time an actor from this movie shows up in another movie or show, I call them by their Empire Records character. Oh, hey, it's Lucas. Oh, wow, this show stars Ress Manning? 
Mark with a K, dude, he was awesome and can't hardly wait and disturbing behavior. Oh, do I have those on the master list? Ah, shit, what the hell is wrong with me? But it's true. I wouldn't see Empire Records until I was in my fucking 30s. Which I feel is way too late to see this movie for the first time. But I didn't care. I loved it. Wanted to watch it again. Rushed out and found it on VHS. Thank you very much. And I watch it on every April 8th. Which, if you are a fan of this movie, you know why that date is important. And if I was a smart guy, I would have released this podcast on that date. But I also want to talk about this movie very badly and can't wait. You might even say... I can't hardly wait. Today on That's the Bomb, Yo, I welcome my friend and fellow rabbit hole podcaster Lisa Leahy as we tell you why Empire Records is a hella rad movie from the 90s. Oh, we mustn't dwell. No. no not today. We can't. <laughs> Not on Rex Manning Day. Hello, welcome to That's the Bomb, yo. 90 hella rad movies from the 90s. I am your host, Jason Soto. My guest today is a friend, a fellow uh, podcaster, my co-host on a whole bunch of shows that you can find over at rabbitholepodcast.com, and she hosts her own show called The Sib List. Uh, hello, Lisa Leahy. How are you? Hello, Jason Soto. I'm doing pretty well, thank you. <laughs> I'm a little formal on this show because I, this is a topic that I'm very passionate about. Me this is, too. This is my passion project. This is 90s movie podcast. And I feel like I got to be formal to kind of prove that I can I could be I could be formal. Um so I love it. I think it's great. I I'm I'm also passionate about the 90s in general, the music, the movies just like you. Um to the point that I'm already, you know, holding a grudge against one of our fellow podcasters about snagging the episode <laughs> that I also wanted. <laughs> Um, one of many, because I basically want to do this entire show as well. So, (laughs) well, if I ever switch to, uh, just doing it with a co-host, I will keep you in mind. Yes. Thank you. So until then, we are going to hear to talk about empire records, 1995. And, uh, like I said in the beginning, first off, sorry that you didn't get a Nobel peace prize. I fucked up the timeline. I apologize. Uh Eh, it is what it is. It's okay. If only I've seen Empire Records in 95 when it came out. Our lives you know, might be different. I mean, I might have one now, but, you know, you may have just set me up to win one five years from now. Okay. I mean, who knows? Who knows what's coming? Who knows? Exactly. I already have the author flap for my book. Yes. Don't yes. know anything about and didn't <laughs> yes. ever plan on writing. So I mean, clearly somebody's steering <laughs> me in a direction. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think I think you're gonna write a very smart book someday, and you're gonna get a Nobel Peace Prize for it. It's coming. Apparently, I guess so. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> so okay, how how badly after seeing Empire Records did you want to work in a record store? I saw Empire Records while I was working in Blockbuster Video, so I never wanted to work in a in a record store. Oh, really? 
Yeah, I, I was always, I remember saying that I was either going to be great for working in a video store or being a pizza delivery driver. <laughs> um, for some reason that appealed to me. Okay. Um, ended up getting the job at Blockbuster and to this day, 22 years into teaching, something else I like to think I'm pretty darn good at. Mm -hmm. Best job I ever had. Okay. It was absolutely <laughs> just what you see here. Um, you know, we had, we played shrink wrap ball. We watched movies during the day on a slow Saturday, you know, like we just, you know, we had certain people who I had certain people and I know we all did, but I had certain people who refused to take recommendations from anybody else except me. Really? You know, it's like, it's, oh yeah. Stuff like that. It was super fun. Mm. It was absolutely the best. And then when I started teaching and I decided, Hey, let me pick up a part-time job a couple of years in, I tried to go back and you can't go back. You know, like the group that I worked with, um, the store that I was in, it just, it wasn't the same. I didn't go to that same store. I tried to go to another one. Mm -hmm. And even though I was working with a pal, it just wasn't the same. Wow. So lightning in a bottle, that group, and they all know who they are. Oh man. Do you still keep in touch with them? Some of them. Yeah. Okay. That's Absolutely cool. Absolutely do. That's cool. Um, yeah, I, I... I really feel like, you know, back when I was 15 years old, 1995, and I was trying to decide, you know, what kind of job would I want? And I, I laid upon two paths was to work in the video store or work in a record store. And I really feel like if I seen Empire Records back in 95 when it came out, I would have, like, said, fuck the movies and go towards the music side of things. And yeah, I really do feel like my life would have been different if I seen Empire Records in '95, but I didn't. Yeah. I saw it in my thirties. <laughs> so the nostalgia is strong with this one. Yeah, like this is very much a core '90s film. Like, yeah, definitely. It's the the fashions, the music, really the music. It's really just all about the music. Mm -hmm. Um, the Gin Blossoms was like heavily um involved in the making of this soundtrack and mm -hmm. they got a bunch of other 90s bands to be on this soundtrack i mean just look i'm looking at the track now you got jim blossoms cranberries uh you got told the red sprocket uh better than ezra cracker if anyone remembers cracker yeah <laughs> low um absolutely and they even released like a second like like a part well, yeah, two to because this? Sponge isn't on this particular track list. Sponge listing. is missing, yeah. And Sponge was big for this this uh And they had a big song the in the movie. Too. Yeah. Absolutely. They did. I hear <clears> that <throat> song. I hear that beginning riff, oh, the guitar riff. Yes. And I immediately for a cloud. I immediately think of this movie. And they're pushing each other in the shopping carriages as they set up <laughs> for the Save the Empire party. Yes. I absolutely go back to this movie for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, gore is missing off this the original the soundtrack. Right. They didn't yep. go to the second part. Um, yeah, the video killed the radio star segment. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo not on and here. Juliet. Right, right. Little right. Dire Straits. Dire Straits. Yep, yep, yep. I yep. love that song. I do. Uh, now was there? So you worked at a video store. Um, I did. Were did you, when you watched? First off, when did you first see this movie? Um, I saw, I did not see it in the theater. We didn't see it then. This is definitely something we saw on video. Mm -hmm. So 
anywhere between 96 and 98, I think. Okay. So when you inevitably got the job at Blockbuster, uh, did you, like, point out to people in the movie and is like, oh, you know, AJ is totally this guy I work with and – uh, you know, Liv, so no, Liv, I didn't. <laughs> Liv Tyler didn't, is this person. <laughs> um, we didn't do that in the store. We did that with my friend group. Oh, okay. So, because I I hung with a crew of people, um, and so it was me. It was my friend Susan. It was my friend Kayla. Um, one of the guys' sisters. But the, I mean, there was a core group of four of us: two guys, two girls. Um, they were like another girl, another guy on the fringe, um, and then sort of like extra friends here and whose younger sister and their friends. And so it just became this giant sort of crew of people who all kind of peripherally hung out together. Um, but there was, there was a core group of five or six mm -hmm. that we were in the same grade. We always hung out together every Friday night. We were at John's house and every Friday night we were watching X-Files. Uh, we would go to movies together. We would sit across the center row, like all the time. This, this was my, my high school and early college years. Oh, okay. So we picked we picked who was who, <laughs> who in that friend group. So who were you in this movie? Who do I say I was or yeah. who did my friends say I was? Oh, I want to hear both. So um, I come from a family of teachers. My father was a principal. My mother taught in the high school I went to. I was an overachiever. Um, oh, you know, I was a nerd. I got picked on <laughs> left and right in middle school. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> I did get voted most likely to succeed in high school. Mm. Um, I, I would have put me as Corey. Um, <laughs> nowhere near as cute, nowhere near as fashionable, mm. uh, and definitely not on drugs. But nah. yeah. my friends told me I was Mark. <laughs> Oh, that I was makes identified me laugh. as Mark. That makes me laugh so much. <laughs> um, which to this day, I love. I think that's so wonderful because frankly, I'm not, I mean, Corey's the closest, but I'm not as high strung. Okay. Um, I, I do kind of have that odd laid back goofiness. Um, again, not into drugs. So I'm not a stoner. I did absolutely dress like him though. Um, I had the the skater pants and the vans and the small t-shirt. Um, you know, just I I wasn't a super girly girl, so there was no way I was ever um I was never gonna be Deborah. I was never gonna be Gina. You know, it just wasn't me. So they, they called me out as Mark. <laughs> I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, did you like gore <laughs> then? Is that what I'm no, getting? <laughs> I didn't know who I knew who Guar was because of Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. I mean, I that wasn't my my thing. Like, yeah. I definitely liked my alt rock. I liked some of the harder stuff, but not a lot. Um, you know, Nine Inch Nails and Tool at first mm -hmm. freaked me out because you know I come from a Catholic upbringing, and you know oh, I worried oh, I worried that the hard stuff would you know be too much. Put so Satan into your life. Even that so much, but like was about disturbing things, and I didn't want to listen to disturbing things. Like I wasn't listening mm. to like gangster rap either. Mm. Um, I just wanted to listen to you know <clears throat> stuff that was entertaining and interesting, and um, did get into Tool and did get into Nine Inch Nails. But some of like like I've never been to a concert. I just feel like I wouldn't fit in there. I like to think that I'm Lucas. 
I can see that. Because, um, one, he's a troublemaker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but two, he seems to be the main focus of the movie. I don't know if you agree with me on that. Like, it seems well, he's like he's the narrator. He's sort of the ringleader. Who's kind of yeah. He's he's the one that sets everything off into motion, mm-hmm. and it's like everything just sort of happens around him, mm-hmm. and it's it's almost. I, I I've seen this. I've now seen this movie like several times. Where to the point where I overanalyze it, and I'm sure like the the screenwriter had like no intentions of anything that I'm about to say here. She just wrote a really dumb work comedy that takes place in a record store. But I like to think like Lucas on this particular day on April eighth of nineteen ninety five, maybe four if they're a year behind. Um. He got some weird self-awareness about his surroundings, and that's what led him to do the events in the movie. Because mm-hmm. he just seemed like just a regular old like employee who's who's a like a kind of an assistant manager or just like a key carrier or something, where he's trusted to close up the store, and then he just gets this, you know. Um, feeling like you know repulsion or uh, yeah uh, to take all the money and go gamble in Atlantic City, like just well, because I- he finds in Joe's desk drawer the stuff about um, Music Town, Music Town coming in and taking <clears throat> them over. So he was like, I have to save the store, and then so he- that's why he takes the closing money and he- he's going to go gamble it and make lots of money so that we can buy the store, which did not work out. Of course not. <laughs> And I feel like I would do something like that, honestly. <laughs> I would just, just, just on a, just on an impulse, just, just, oh shit. Uh, okay, I want to take this money that I'm counting, um, uh, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but I remember it was like nine thousand something dollars and seventeen cents because he counted it twice. He counted it twice. <laughs> and then he won, but then he doubled it, and then he lost. Yep. Which is why when you win the first time, just take it, just go, and yeah, th- that's the but lesson. See, that's the lesson learned here, kids. That's how gambling works. But I also think I'm AJ. Um, I, you know what, you do. You're kind of a <clears throat> blend of the two because you do have, um, AJ's heart, right? Like Lucas wants to be the center of attention. You know, like when mm-hmm. he gets banned to the couch and everything is happening and he is like trying to see out the door without yeah. leaving the couch <laughs> yeah um i can see that troublemaker side but i think you've got aj's heart definitely and i've definitely had crushes on girls and had zero idea on how to tell them or would inevitably find the wrong time to tell them <laughs> I yeah. I completely 37 exactly. I I I sympathize with him so much in this movie. Um and I don't blame him for having the little crush on Corey who's played by Liv Tyler. Mm-hmm. Uh she's freaking adorable in this movie. She's very cute and charming, yes. Yes. And then uh you got Renée Zellweger who uh I'm just going to come out and say it is the slutty one. No. Yeah, that's that's the way she's depicted. Yeah. Yeah. No offense to be taken, not judging, not you know, being name shaming or anything. I'm just she really. Yeah, at the time <clears> that <throat> that's what she would have been labeled as. Now it would she would be an ass kicker and say, you know, screw you, I'm gonna wear what the hell I want. Exactly. 
And Deborah would back her on that. <laughs> and Deb. Good old Deb. Yep, Deb. And I kind of had a crush on her, too, even though she scared me a little. But oh, she's so great. She was she could. I, I, it, it's a shame that her career didn't blow up from this in the craft. Right. And and she made you probably know this already, but anyone else who don't know, she was making this and the craft kind of at the same time. Mm-hmm. And she had to have her hair, you know, because in this in, shave her head in, in Empire Records, she shaves her head. But then she's going back and forth between sets, and in the craft, she has long hair, so she had to right. wear she had to wear a wig. Had to wear a wig during the craft. I would have just been like, you know what? I'm just gonna write the character for the craft to have short hair too. And this no, because can- she actually does a um. She, oh God, I literally just had it on my tongue, and now it's gone. Um, it uh is it called a glamour? She does a thing where she cha- She shows that she's got these powers because she pushes her hands through her hair and mm. changes her hair. Color color so she needed oh, to do that okay. that's actually a, that's actually a moment in the craft this should be on your list jason if you don't know the craft it, it pro- i've seen it i've seen it once i i mean i guess i could revisit it let me see if it's on the super master. good movie let me see if it's on the master list but i can't um, deal with the ending but you know see i don't remember what the ending was so maybe i do need oh, to revisit. oh snakes 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 oh okay it's a it's an animal thing got it okay where the hell is the master super good movie though um but that was that was the 90s heathers (laughs) girls who wanted to be like the 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 geek girls who were fringe kids Mm -hmm. wanted to be the craft like that's that was who you wanted to be when you were in the 90s because they were just like they were picked on they were isolated and they got together and they just screwed with everybody it was wonderful holy crap i don't have it on here all right, I'll add the craft. Write it down. There. My students, any of my students who are listening, ready? Let's say it all together. Put it on the list. <laughs> we have a list in my classroom. Ooh, nice. The movies that they haven't seen but need to. <clears throat> um. So, Debs, well, since we're on Deb, let's talk about her introduction to the movie is where she does start off with hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, bandages on her wrist and comes in on the motorcycle and comes the helmet. in on the motorcycle, uh, then goes into the store's bathroom and shaves yep. her head. Yep. And for the whole movie, we don't know what like the problem is until like 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes to the ending. She's just one of those like, I'm depressed, but fuck you. And it's my problem. I'm gonna deal with it. Fuck you. <laughs> like she, she just did not give a fuck. She hates Renee Zellweger with a passion. Shock me, shock me, shock me with that deviant <laughs> behavior. Well, yeah, they kind of mutually hated each other. Really, it's amazing until the ending, and I think they got along pretty well. At I the, at swear, the ending. you get smarter the shorter your skirt gets, <laughs> and you get smarter the shorter your hair gets. Good thing you went with that then. <laughs> I've seen this movie a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I again. And then I, they let's not fight, and then they tear up the stupid uh, uh, music town. Music town. Paper. Yeah. Sorry, you were talking, yep, yep. and I totally went no, off no. And started reciting. By all means, by all means. You know what? One of my favorite scenes is is when Warren shows up. Oh my and, god, I love Warren. And Lucas notices he's shoplifting, and so he just starts chasing him all around, and Lucas. Like seemingly and just like Mark. pops up. Yes, <laughs> I love it. Shoplifter. 
Oh my god, I love it the way he yells it too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then That's such a great scene. <laughs> Help you find anything. <laughs> like music. You like music. And oh, then... Rory Cochran is so people put him on dazed and confused, but I go to this. Yo, I always me too. go to this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's so great. Indeed. And again, every time he shows up in something, I just call him Lucas. Yes. He's forever he is forever Lucas to me. I don't care. Yes, I agree. And I think Luke I, he's just so good in this movie. He's he's in uh Oculus which we're going to be covering on between the scares and I will be calling him Lucas when we do that movie. That's, I do not <laughs> care for that movie. So I will absolutely do that with you. Um okay, so what I like about this movie, one of the things I like about this movie is the whole it takes place in one day thing. I'm always a sucker for those kind of movies that take yeah, place. Yeah, those are fun. Um, and it's a workplace comedy. It's 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 a it's a comedy about you know people who are at work stuck at work together, and you know, and then the crazy ass shit that happens while they're at work. Um, the movie. I do love those those like random. Like you said, like day in the life, like you yes. drop into somebody's yes, life yes, for yes. a little bit and then you drop back out again. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like the movie is kind of plotless and, and there's kind of an arc, which is Lucas's story mixed in with the buying of the store. But then it's like if you take those out for just a minute, it's just like here's Corey having a crush on Rex Manning, who's this big giant music star. Um, who's going to come to the store for a signing and she wants to uh, lose her virginity to him. Uh, and then you got Deb with her issues where she, you know, comes in with bandages on her wrist. She slit her wrists. Um, and then you got, um, then you just got like all these other goofball characters like Mark and his stoner buddies. Um, the one guy, what's his name? The other guy with the long hair that just kind of shows up. I cannot think oh, of that. Oh, the pizza guy. Oh, P damn it. What the hell is that guy? Name? Well, him. Him... <clears throat> um, Eddie. Eddie. It's Eddie. Okay. Yeah, him. He, you know, he just Cause, ran. Because the other guy is Burko. Is so Burko. Burko is like the 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 music. I'll call him the music guy because he's a, mu he's a musician. Yeah, he's a musician who yeah. seems to be dating Deb. And he mm. seems to think whatever she's going through involves him. But she's saying right. it's not. Um. You got Joe, who uh, is the manager of the store and seems to be like the caretaker of Lucas. Um, yeah, <clears throat> he sees. I don't know that he's a caretaker as much as he's kind of like the father figure for Lucas. Um, as a teacher, I, I know this relationship. You know, like Lucas does not have direction. Lucas does not have parents who are keeping an eye on him. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Lucas is really, I mean, he's out of high school. I think he's like college drifter. I've, I've always wondered what his story was. Cause like the, him, yeah. him and Joel's relationship are very interesting in this movie. Yeah. And this is what I'm saying. Like, this is the kid who isn't going to college. He's kind of just drifting. He's kind of just mm -hmm. doing his thing. Mm -hmm. His identity is entirely wrapped up in empire records. Um, so Joe has become his kind of father figure sort of thing. Like Joe is the guy who looks out for Lucas. 
you know, and when you get to that age, when you're like a senior, junior, senior in high school, going into college and you're not quite sure what to do. And if you don't have parents at home or family members at home who are kind of helping to steer you, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you find that person elsewhere. You know, um, I've been that as a teacher. I know colleagues who have been that. I know, you know, people whose children's friends, like they become that surrogate parent kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's, but that's definitely what's going on between Joe and Lucas. I just like their dynamic, their relationship with each other. And the fact that Joe completely kicks his ass in the middle of the movie. In the office. Well, he's that's just... just it. Because he deserves it, you know? Yeah. And the fact that he, um, you know, to, uh, to, to he, that's that's it. You know, like somebody's going to knock this kid around a little bit yeah. for his own good. You yeah. Know? Yep. Yep. And um, uh, do you think Joe's a good manager? Yes, I do. I think so, too. Um, I think he's a cool manager. And it's interesting because, like I said, you know, I talk about Blockbuster and stuff. And when I started working at Blockbuster, we were Blockbuster doing business as Major Video because Major Video hadn't quite gone under yet. And, you know, there's corporate Blockbusters and there's franchise Blockbusters. And the the franchise ones were kind of like standalones, like you could get away with stuff. Mm. Um, you know, we didn't have security cameras in my store that worked. Oh, wow. Um, not that we ever did anything, you know, like we're a bunch of, we loved it there and we never would like do anything to screw up our jobs. Okay. Um, but like, it was one of those things where if ever a corporate goon or something came in to check on us, we'd be screwed left and right. Um, <laughs> you know, like I'm telling you, if you remember going to Blockbuster and you mm. sc- mm-hmm. scan the wall, all of the, the VHS boxes mm-hmm. would be plastic shrink wrapped. Right. Well, we would play shrink wrap ball. <laughs> where you would take a big it, it was a machine with like a hot iron so mm-hmm. you would it had like an open side so it was like a, a like a three-sided seal of this big giant roll of plastic and you would put the cover box in and you would seal it and then you would take this industrial hair dryer and you would shrink it well what we started doing is we would take a big chunk as uh, like a chunk of of plastic and we'd crumple it up and we'd shrink it down and then we'd put it inside the plastic and we'd crumple it down and we'd shrink it down and we just like do this a few times till we had something about the size of like uh like a bocce ball or maybe like a good size softball and oh please we would set cover boxes up on the <laughs> the half wall heights oh my god and we would target practice and see who could get it from halfway across the store um, I, all kinds of stuff like this. You know, you can't do that stuff in, in corporate stores. Fair. So this, this, all this goofing off stuff that they do and these things that they can get away with, absolutely the feeling of what we had. Because, I mean, even the manager was in on it. You know, like, we, this is what we did. <clears throat> if it was a dead time and you had a stretch of time when nobody was around, I mean, doing overnight inventory, we'd all screw around. We'd get the work done, but we we're all like playing music and dancing around. I mean, it really was just like this. Yeah, I've I had nights like that at uh, my current job and my mm-hmm. previous job actually at McDonald's. Um, yeah, <clears throat> more in when I started working at McDonald's in the late '90s, it was more open like that i think mcdonald's now like they don't fuck around exactly <laughs> but back in the, back in 98 99 you kind of could do whatever you wanted <clears throat> right um 
So, okay. Corey wanted to lose her virginity very badly to Rex Manning. Is there a singer that you would have lost your virginity to? I don't think I have an answer for you. Really? Okay. There was not like a singer, like some artist, a singer, a band member, somebody you were like, I would have liked to have lost my virginity to this person. Well, first of all, it was never going to happen. Well, it's um, fine. It's fine. Yeah, no, I know that. But, like, <laughs> she kind of thinks it's going to happen. Yeah. I never had that kind of feeling or that kind of, like, fantasy thing. Okay. Um, I was really into Mickey Dolenz as a kid. <laughs> okay. But I didn't think of him that way because I was, like, I in gotcha. fourth grade. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, no, because, like, I grew up on the Monkees TV show. All right. And he was the one I was obsessed with. But I don't, I didn't think of it that way. All right. So I, I really don't know. I think it was more like actors and stuff later on. Like I had Kirk Cameron on my wall. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, at the time, he wasn't. <laughs> I weird. know. I know. Um, but still, that's I, funny. I had a crush on Fred Savage because he was adorable. Okay. Okay. But again, like nobody, I can't come up. I'm really? sure I okay. did. And somebody must be yelling. Like if any of my friends are listening <laughs> to this, they're like, you moron, you forgot about so-and-so. Fair. I don't, I right. don't remember. I don't think so. All and right. I'm not saying that to hide it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. I honestly, and that's the other, I was a late bloomer. I didn't think this way. Oh, okay. Okay. So. Okay, that's fair. I just, I just thought I'd throw the question out there just because, no, you know, and it I'm follows sorry, the movie. No, and I better answer. No. Like, it would have been so interesting to actually have something, have it be this ridiculous answer. Eh, I have, I don't really think so. Because, I mean, you know, looking at Corey's point of view, she really is into this Rex Manning guy. And, and I don't understand <clears throat> how, but. Well, I mean, God. in the movie universe, it kind of made sense, I guess. Um, because she like grew up on him, right? Right, and he was—he's kind of when we see him on this day, on Rex Manning Day, uh, he's kind of like you know on his way out. He's no longer—he's starting to no longer be popular. He's kind of fading away. Right. Um, and so this record, this this signing at that Empire Records is kind of like his last grab at you know some kind of relevancy. Um, and I guess to you know boost his ego a little bit. And then, much to his chagrin, all the people in line are like, like old, middle age, yes. old people. The one kind of hot person in their twenties, maybe teenager, is like, "I'm just signing this for my mom." Yes, <laughs> yes. Like oh. she had no idea who he was. She's like, "I have no idea who you are. I'm just signing this for my mom." <laughs> the one old lady who comes up singing his song. <laughs> Oh, she's nuts. Let's that talk. that kind of person's always there. Let's talk about the song, the the say no more, mon amour song. Mon amour. Mon amour. Yes. Has a let's ignore the fact that it's a fake song. They made it for the movie. Just has a song in itself. How do you feel about it? It's awful. <laughs> okay. Don't hold it's back, Lisa. Awful. No, it's definitely a song that we'd be tormenting each other with. <laughs> No, we would definitely goof on this from here to next week. Yeah. You know, the same way they do. Yeah. You know, they walk around, say no, no more, 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 more. more. <laughs> like, so, come on. Okay, so that means me to ask, do you think in the movie universe it was supposed to be bad, but only Rex Manning thinks it's good because it's his song and maybe Gina, uh, Gina? No, Kit Corey, sorry, Corey, um, is just, you know, blind to it because she's smitten by him like is it supposed to be a bad song and it's just it just got overblown or do we just think it's a bad song just because we're us 
outside the movie. I think it's both. I think it's the um, element of musicians who are really, really good for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then they try to shift into a new decade Uh and they just can't get there. And it's almost sad. I think it's that. You know, like uh-huh. they, like he's trying to do his style and it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. You know, like there was a point where like Rod Stewart just it was like. No, <laughs> That's a good example. That is a really no, good example. Don't don't. Yeah. Do it anymore. That's you a know? good one. I mean, I like some of like Rod Stewart's kind of like early 90s stuff, but there was a point where it was like, all right, man, you got to. I mean, there's forever young, but then yeah, there's some of the others that are just like, yeah, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Uh, that's a very good example, Rod Stewart. Actually, <laughs> like just, I'm just I'm just putting Rod Stewart in Rex yeah. Manning's spot in Although this movie. Although I really <laughs> do like that song he does, like the Motown Records song. Oh yeah, I do like that song, <clears throat> but I don't. I just I don't know. I just think of a guy who's aging and really just doesn't want to let it go, and it's like I mm, know you're kind of done. Mm-hmm. But and it's usually the sex symbols, like the ones who were really good when they were younger and they're still trying to be now. Like I saw Billy Idol in concert in the mid to early 2000s and good gravy. He is a dirty old man, but he still got up there and gyrated and danced like he did in the 80s. And it was hilarious. But like he's an <clears throat> example of dude. Eh. <laughs> I mean, this this just ain't your gig anymore. Yeah. Um, was there ever in your, in your time at Blockbuster, if somebody was really like down in the dumps and depressed, would you hold a mock funeral for them? Or is that just, is that weird? (laughs) It's not weird, but it wouldn't be my move. Um, I was one of those people though, who felt that, oh, we have a guest, um, I was one of those people who, and I actually did do this once and I don't, I think people hated me for it at the time, but like when everybody was all pissed off at each other, I felt that like having a big circle conversation where we all just aired out our grievances, I thought that was going to help. Um, it didn't, Mm. (laughs) it got people mad at me. Yeah. So I, I was one of those kinds of people because, Mm. you know, I just felt like, I was helpless to actually be helpful. So I was like, let's just get it all out and then we'll be fine. And no, that didn't work. People were mad. Yeah. So no, I can I see that. Think, I can I see that. I don't think a funeral would be useful. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> like that, when that scene like happens, cause the movie was more or less realistic, like for the most part, like, give or take a couple of things maybe, but for the most part, it was like this all could actually happen. You know, there could be totally. this, this guy st- steals money from the store to go gamble. And, you know, our store is, you know, this quaint independent store is being bought out by a big mega store. Um, the The owner is this pompous douche. Uh, who wants like absolutely nothing to do with it? He just got inherited at the store. Um, you know the people have the real problems. Then the, the this funeral kind of happens with Deb, and then things get kind of strange because <laughs> it's such a weird scene. It's like an out of place scene a little bit. It, it's and because and then things kind of go back to normal a little bit after that. Um, 
Even though you you know you you can kind of question with the whole Warren coming back with a gun with blanks and shooting the store. <laughs> um, Warren, oh, and then Warren. and then they end up giving him a job there, which I think is funny. Yeah, I mean, it's it's total batshit. It's just so much fun though. And then they have the giant, you know, damn the man, save the empire party, uh, yep. which is where Plowed comes in. <clears throat> Yes. Um, yes. Yes. And then uh, and Sugar High and Sugar High. Yeah, R- Renee Zellweger. Oh, I love that. Scene. She she gets to sing finally in a band. Yes, and you get so excited for her. like she does mm-hmm. that handshake. Yeah, I'm doing it now because I'm excited <laughs> for her. It's so cute. Yes, 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 yes. And then um, and then uh. Then we all get all happy endings. Everyone gets a happy ending. The store yes. gets saved. They buy the well, store. It's, it's perfect. Well, almost perfect. And oh. then you get that scene on the roof. Yes. Yes. See, and it's stuff like that that makes me like Lucas for this particular day. He just came. He just like had an out of body experience and is just like aware mm-hmm. of everything that's happening. Because even when he said the whole what is with today today. Oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> Like, you know, because everyone was, like, questioning that he was acting r- really weird on this yeah. day. What's like, with you today? What's, <laughs> what's with today? today? Today. Exactly. So this just goes to my theory that, like, Lucas is, like, some weird – in some weird head state where – But he- you know what? They're all weird. Like, AJ's gluing quarters on the ground, and he goes, I don't feel I have to explain my art to you. Well, that's an art thing. I, I didn't, I, I <laughs> no, didn't think anything No, it's not. It's because he's weird. <laughs> it's fantastic. And that's the point. The point is that they're all weird. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're all they're all these archetypes, but at the same point, they're, you know, <clears throat> this is going to get squishy. Right. Like, they're all these different types, and yet they're all still, like, a family. Yeah. But, I mean, like, everybody is their own type of weird. Mm-hmm. You know, and they that no matter what archetype they fit into, no matter what category you fit into, it's the Breakfast Club. It's a Breakfast Club. <laughs> movie. It really is. Because yeah, everybody's I can see got that. Their own brand of weird. And this is the 90s version, you know, mm-hmm. like and then everybody comes together and it's cute. And, you know, it's just that sort of stuff. Like everybody just kind of wants to be somewhere where they can be weird and, you know, do their thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What else? Oh man, I, I I just love this movie. This is it's such it's a fun movie. Uh, gets kind of serious at times where you know sure. the Deb's, well, you have to. Deb's funeral and the whole thing about Corey, where you know we find out she's addicted to you know a feminine speed. Uh, yeah. Yes, speed. Thank you. Um, her parents, mainly her dad, keeps like pushing her to do all this yeah. stuff. Um, Harvard. <clears throat> yeah, Harvard. Uh, yeah, so you got all this like serious stuff kind of in the middle of all these like goofball people, you mm-hmm. know, between you know, Lucas stealing the money and uh, friggin' uh, Rex Manning, and then uh, his assistant, yeah, Jane, Debbie, Mazar. Debbie Mazar, yeah, she shows up, uh, quits because he's a douche, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I he's like how douche. I like how everyone's breaking point. Was when Gina's, you know, I'll just say it, fucked Rex Manning, and then he gets all like pompous about it, and then they're just like, "That's it, <laughs> get oh out." God, he's so gross about it too. <laughs> he comes out what? Yeah, what? Yeah. No applause. Like yeah. Oh, <laughs> and that was like the last straw. Is like get out of here, Rex yes. Manning. 
Piece of shit. <laughs> oh man. Okay. I already know the answer to this, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Would would it be neat to see like a however many years sequel to this? No. Just to kind of see what they're all up to. No. No. <laughs> see, I knew you were gonna say that. No, you wouldn't, because like I said, I couldn't go back to Blockbuster again. You can't. <laughs> you won't be able to do it. And it's going to be disappointing. <clears throat> you know, like the movies that hit and the movies that we hold so near and dear like this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. As much as we wish we could, you can't. It won't have the same feeling. What it's going to do is make us feel old. You know, yeah. like we don't need to see this because, first of all, these music stores, they don't exist anymore. Well, see, I think that would make an interesting plot. No, because it would be like some, it would be high fidelity. You know, it's a different story. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess. You know, I guess it would Lucas, be high fidelity. Lucas left Ape Empire Records and became Jack Black in high fidelity. <laughs> well, there's your. <laughs> or the Michael Stipe guy. Who was that character? He was just like Michael Stipe. Oh, yeah. The. Uh, was the hell was his name he's amazing barry he's like barry moby. yeah barry. He's, like, he's like michael stipe and moby in one person you know what's funny about that about that guy is he shows up in snakes on a plane and i remember going holy shit it's t- it's barry from my it's barry <laughs> like what the hell he's a snake expert <laughs> yep. that's my favorite uh jack black role by the way he's oh high fidelity so fantastic in oh that yeah movie. what's his first well not his first but like his breakout what made him yeah. famous. Well, it was his breakout before he became an idiot. You know, like, he's done his <laughs> style of comedy. Okay. But it's not this. Like, this, I just think he's so snarky and fantastic, and I love him. All right, fair enough, I guess. All right, well, I, I'm i going to do the opposite of you, and I kind of would not mind the, some kind of follow-up. I just kind of want to know, like, you know, what happens to these people. No, that goes against. <laughs> no, I'm going to argue with you. Here's why I'm going to argue with you, because you're the one who says that you love day in the life movies. Yes. Which means that you don't want to know what happened after, because then it's no longer a day in the life movie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I defy you. I, I mean, you. it it would still be a day in the life just twenty five years later, or however many years it's been since nineteen ninety five. I feel, I just feel like it would be sad. I don't know, because then you know somebody's it, not going to want to do it, and then they're going to have somebody who passed away because then I have to explain why somebody doesn't want to do it. It's just like, eh. As far as I know, everyone's still alive. No, um, but my point is, <clears throat> no, the character would be dead because somebody wouldn't want to do it. You know, like mm. it's just. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I wish I could share your, I, your I think, enjoyment. I wish I could I share think, your enjoyment. I think these people, all of them, all the actors in this movie, got along so splendidly well that they yes. probably would be down to do some kind of reunion thing. I, I can't, you know, the only person maybe not down to do it might be, you know, Maxwell Caulfield, who played Rex Manning. He might not be into it. Um, but I feel like Zellweger wouldn't but, do it either. I think she would. Mm. I kind of think she would. I'd like to see an Empire Records like Comic Con reunion. Like I'd like to see them in a panel. I would, would love to moderate that panel. Okay. That would be really, really cool. Okay, let's but make I that just, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get Liv Tyler. You're not gonna get Renee Zellweger. Well, you know she's probably, not gonna show up you and do probably could. Oh, you probably. Uh, could. I don't know. You probably could. 
Like, if this was Renee Zellweger 15 years ago, probably not. But I think now she'd be down to do anything. This is the Academy Award nominee more than once. Yeah, but... Academy what, Award what, what is she doing now? Nothing. <laughs> well, she just did Judy. Okay, but... Was that last year, year before? Mm, probably year before. I don't know. I th I think they'd do it. But anyway, that's just me. I I would I would be curious what a tw 25 year later Empire Records would be like. They're the last record store in this town in New Jersey. Oh, so we could have the last Empire Records and the last Blockbuster. Yes. We have twin documentaries. <laughs> yes. There you go. By the way, some behind the scenes stuff. The 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 screenwriter uh, Carol Heiken. I'm thinking I'm saying that right. Um, Heikinen. Heikinen, yeah. Uh, she based this on her time working at a Tower Records. Makes sense. Which does totally make sense. Absolutely. Um, and then ironically, Tower Records went bankrupt in 2005. So, uh, 10 years after this movie came out. Interesting. Damn the man. Damn the man. Save the Tower. Wait. <laughs> that doesn't had the same flow. Uh, nope. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else uh, you want to bring up yes. about Empire Records? Yes. I do want to bring up something about Empire Records because people don't realize the problem with the DVD version of this. Oh movie. yeah, you want to talk? Okay, go ahead. So this film, obviously being released mid '90s, mid to early late '90s, mm -hmm. uh, if you can even follow what the hell that meant. Um, <laughs> so like 95, 96, it was 95. This is on VHS, yes. right? No, yes. I know. I know the movie was released in 95, but it wouldn't have been on, if it was released uh, in September. what? September. So yeah, you're right. 96, probably it would have been 96, early 96. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and it would have been on VHS because yes. we didn't start getting DVDs until around 98 because right. I was charged with coming up a list of 100 classic films to put on DVD Ooh. because they were bringing DVD into the store. Nice. Um, that's an interesting story because everything you want on DVD, half was not available. Oh, wow. Like all of the movies that you think, <clears throat> oh, we definitely need this on DVD and we definitely need this. They mm. weren't going to be available right away. Mm. So you couldn't get them. So I had to put together this list of movies that people would want to see on DVD and half of them didn't exist. So that was fun. But anyway, so you get this movie and so you have it on VHS and you watch it on VHS and then eventually you start replacing your VHSs with DVDs. So I get this on DVD because that's what you do. And it's the, the remix edition and it's got a blue cover. So the actual cover box for the original release is a white cover. And so you pop in the blue cover DVD and there's an additional 15, 20 minutes of footage that they've re-edited back in mm -hmm. and they've <clears throat> changed the chronology of the movie. Yeah, you've mentioned this to me before, and I'm curious about that. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to like do a side by side or something because I assume you haven't seen the VHS version. I have the VHS version. It's oh, only... so you've only seen the proper version. I've Good. seen it on VHS, yes. So one of the most, the easiest way to bring it up, if you watch it on VHS, what you will notice is the Romeo and Juliet scene. Yes. When the store is playing Dire Straits and Mark is going around with his feather duster and he encounters the girl, the ballet girl. Yes. Um, that scene is broken up into more than one section. And it happens kind of more than once. Like there's more than one interaction with her. Hmm. Um, 
the 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 delivery guy who's dancing as he leaves or it might be a she i don't remember um like the the delivery person dancing as they leave yeah um that whole sequence is in two chunks like they've actually broken up two different times when romeo and juliet is playing now it's not like it's half an hour in between it's not like it's a weird jump cut gap but what happens in the vhs is weirdly extended in um the dvd version Hmm. and so it's very jarring to watch when you've watched it on vhs so many times you get used to the rhythm of a movie and the dvd i cannot watch it it actually makes my skin crawl because it bothers me because i'm like no that's not what comes next yeah you know and it's just so strange because you can't get the vhs version on dvd like there was one DVD <clears throat> release of this. That's it. It says special edition, but there isn't a regular edition. And you can't get it. Well, okay. <clears throat> Take this with a grain of salt. But on Amazon, if you look up the Blu-ray, that oh, according Blu-ray's different. That could be different. According to people writing the reviews, um, this is the original version is on Blu-ray. Even a couple of people go out of their way to say this is not the remix version. This is the original theatrical version. Well, um, that's good to know. And then mixed in with this are people who didn't like the movie, which I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Whoa, this is like big time on sale right now. Yeah, what's the price? Twenty nine? Oh, that's not bad. No, no, no. I'm looking at an Empire Records Blu-ray for seven ninety nine. Uh, used? No. No. I don't know where you are, but I may have to send this to you because I'm I I just looked up Empire Records and scrolled, but I've got one that says forty seven percent off, not seven ninety nine. Okay, now I I found it. It was in the list. Okay, so now I wonder if this is the hmm. Yeah, so I was I'm I was curious. looking I was looking at one version of it. I don't know. Okay, now see this one has the exact same reviews as the other one. Yeah, I'm confused. <laughs> I don't well, know. Seven ninety nine. I think I'm happy with my VHS copy, honestly. So, yeah, and that's the way I feel about it. You know. All right. Um. Okay. Is there anything else about Empire Records? Mm, I think I'm good. These people. Somebody says Amazon should be more honest. The movie is unwatchable. Yeah, people just like to complain. What a horrible and predictable movie. Bite me. <laughs> you are just wrong. Sit in your wrongness and be wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it then. Lisa, thank you very much for joining me on this episode to talk about Empire Records. I enjoyed thank you for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for doing it. It was so cool. I enjoyed the hell out of this. That's The Bomb, yo. 90 hella rad movies from the 90s is hosted, written, and edited by me, Jason Soto. I can be found on Twitter at FamousComedian, or you can email me any questions, comments, or concerns to rabbitholepod at gmail.com, spelled R-B-B-T-H-O-L-E-P-O-D. This show is a Rabbit Hole Podcast production. You can find this episode and several other great podcasts 
over at rabbitholepodcasts.com. And you can follow Rabbit Hole Podcast on Twitter at rabbitholepod, R-B-B-T-H-O-L-E-P-O-D. Until next time, I'm Jason Soto, and remember, wear sunscreen. Copyright 2022 Rabbit Hole Podcasts, rabbitholepodcasts.com.